0: Hello, I'm Tony Collins and this is the Rugby Reloaded Podcast. This week, I'm going to ask, why does Rugby League have a six-tackle rule? The short answer is that the rule was introduced in 1972 and has been one of the game's least controversial features ever since. But the roots of the six-tackle rule go back to the very origins of rugby and to one of the most fundamental questions of the game. What happens when the player with the ball is tackled? Unlike in soccer... Where the handball rule makes it impossible to use spoiling tactics by continually holding onto the ball, this is a problem that affects all the handling codes of football. Rugby Union's solution that a rook, a maul or a scrum be formed so that forwards can push for possession of the ball came to be seen as unsatisfactory by the rugby clubs in the north of England because it reduced the opportunities for open rugby. They weren't the only ones to think this way. Across the Atlantic, American and Canadian rugby players had also started to question the importance of the scrum as early as the 1870s. In October 1875, a football convention was held in Toronto, where nine rugby clubs discussed the rules for the game in Canada. The delegate from McGill University described the scrum as monotonous, uninteresting and dangerous. So, in place of scrummaging, both McGill and University College Toronto decided to play a form of rugby without scrums. In its place, what became known as the scrim evolved. A tackle player would put the ball down in front of them and form a type of mini-scrum with a forward, or sometimes two, on either side and then heel the ball back to the quarterback. Five years later, in 1880, American football followed the Canadians and also replaced the scrum, this time with a snap at the line of scrimmage. It wasn't until 1906 that Rugby League also took the plunge and introduced the play the ball after a tackle. Now, instead of the traditional scrum, the tackle player had to get to their feet, put the ball on the ground, and then try to heel it back to a teammate, known as the acting halfback or dummy half. There's no evidence that the play the ball was influenced by the North American games. The Northern Union saw the play the ball as a return to the original rugby union rule, where the tackle player put the ball on the ground for a scrum to be formed. The play the ball was seen as a kind of mini scrum. In fact, it was a halfway house between the union scrum and the gridiron scrimmage. By making the contest for the ball secondary to the running, handling and tackling features of rugby, the new rule was seen by everyone in the game as a massive improvement to the sport. And the speed this allowed the ball to be passed to the backs was one of the reasons why French journalists in the 1930s nicknamed league Lightning Rugby. But the play of the ball was not without its problems. Like the scrum itself, it offered lots of scope for cheating and rule-bending, The team in possession would do anything to keep the ball, and the defending team would do anything to get it back. Penalties were common. But the most obvious problem was that it allowed the team with the ball to completely monopolise possession, simply by the dummy half not passing or kicking. This had also been a problem in American football, which solved the issue with the system of downs, originally three, as is still the case in Canada, and now four. One of Rugby League's most infamous examples of what became known as the Creeping Barrage was at the 1951 Championship semi-final. A 12-man Workington Town were defending an 8-5 lead against Wigan when Town's captain coach, Gus Risman, ordered his players not to pass or kick the ball for the last 15 minutes of the match. He described what followed. The player would be tackled, play the ball to the acting halfback, who would move forward two yards and then go down in a tackle. He would then play the ball to the acting halfback would then move forward two yards and go down in a tackle. And so it went on, ad infinitum. Clearly something had to be done, and the Rugby Football League spent much of the 1950s and 1960s trying to find a solution. One option vigorously promoted by RFL Secretary Bill Fallerfield was a rugby union-style method of releasing the ball in the tackle. Although opposed by most clubs and the rest of the league-playing world, Fallowfield tried a number of times to introduce a union-style rule to the game. Bizarrely, he was supported by the Duke of Edinburgh, who had presented the trophy at the 1955 Challenge Cup final and remarked that he didn't like to play the ball. Experimental matches using a rugby union style rule were played in 1958 and 1961. Ray Friends described the 1961 match that he played in as a disaster, and also in possibly the most unattractively titled tournament in the history of sport, 1964's bottom 14 playoffs. The farcical nature of the bottom 14 cup finally killed off Bill Fallofield's hopes of bringing the rugby union rule to rugby league. But the problems of the play the ball did not go away. In particular, Australia now had its own issues. By the summer of 1966, St George had won the Sydney Premiership 10 consecutive times and were about to make it 11. The Dragons' total domination meant that Australian officials were open to new ideas to make the game more competitive. In the end, the solution was not Twickenham, but Transatlantic. At the 1966 Rugby League International board meeting, Bill Fowlerfield proposed that the game should adopt American football's four-down system. The New Zealand delegates suggested a scrum after the fourth tackle, rather than a turnover, and the new rule was quickly and unanimously adopted. It was first trialled in England in the BBC2 Floodlit Trophy in October 1966. After a handful of matches, it became obvious that it encouraged attacking play and speeded up the game considerably. From November 1966, four tackles became the rule for all matches. It was a success throughout the league world. Australia's Bill Buckley said the new rule had revitalised the game. The new rule also coincided with the end of St George's amazing premiership run, when Canterbury finally ended the dragon streak with a 12-11 win in the 1967 preliminary final. In 1972, four tackles were extended to six, in the belief, which proved to be correct, that it would allow more structured attacking play to develop. In 1983, a handover of the ball to the opposing side, rather than a scrum, was introduced after the sixth tackle. The final break with the pass came in the early 1990s, when striking for the ball at the play the ball was outlawed, removing the last vestiges of the old mini-scrum and making it simply a device for restarting play. Did it mean that there was no longer a contest for possession in league, as many rugby union critics would claim? The evidence doesn't support this. Constant controversies over stripping the ball in the tackle, the importance of ball security, and coaches' obsessions with completing sets of six tackles shows that the struggle for the ball is as important to league as it is to union, but in a different way. What's more interesting is that the contest for possession of the ball in rugby union is rapidly diminishing. A 2005 report by Rugby Union's International Rugby Board stated that the contest for possession is largely predictable, if not almost wholly guaranteed, finding that the ball was retained by the attacking side for an average of 14 tackles. Just like League in the 1950s before the four-tackle rule, if a Rugby Union team does not kick the ball, they can effectively monopolise possession for long periods of a match. Ironically, that same IRB report also found that in the 1980s, Union teams turned the ball over to their opponents on average once every six tackles, just like in league. But in the 2000s, the ball was turned over only once in 23 tackles. This should come as no surprise, because this is precisely why Rugby League introduced the play, the ball and limited tackles in the first place. And also why Canadian and American football abandoned the scrum and introduced their 3 and 4 down rules. This is due to what we could call the iron law of evolution for all the handling codes of football. Quite simply, the team in possession of the ball will do everything to keep hold of it. Players will cheat, coaches will scheme, and rulemakers will fight a losing battle. But, whatever other issues it might have, Rugby League has always ultimately been able to adapt its rules to emphasise the essence of rugby. Running fast, passing accurately, tackling hard and scoring tries. And in the 46 years since it was introduced, the six-tackle rule has been crucial to preserving that essence of rugby. As a New Zealand Rugby League fan might say, it's all about the joy of six. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Rugby Reloaded podcast. If you want to follow me on Twitter, my name is at Collins Tony. And if you want to dig a bit deeper into the history of rugby and the other football codes, take a look at the Rugby Reloaded website at www.rubbyreloaded.com where you will find an in-depth preview and a special offer of my new book, How Football Began, a global history of how the world's football codes were born. Until next week, thanks for listening.